1: Well, you don't bet, but there's different guesses as to when this will end, and Mark 14 is a good start, that we're in the right direction. So you turn there to Mark 14. That's page 851 of your Blue Pew Bible this morning. Well, as we turn the page, uh, it is a new chapter this morning, and today's title of the sermon is The Inclusive, Exclusive Jesus Sounds like an oxymoron to some, but this is the God that we serve, and it reminds me of a story I heard of an old professor who uh, just shows how difficult it is to love people, and this professor had no children of his own, and uh, whenever he saw a neighbor disciplining or scolding a child for some wrongdoing, he would say to them, well, you should love your boy, not punish him. And one, su- one summer afternoon, the professor was doing some repair work on a concrete leading up to his garage. And he was tired after several hours out in the sun. And he laid down his towel, wiped off his head of the perspiration, and started towards his house. And just then, out of the corner of his eye, a mischievous little boy started putting his feet into the cement. And he rushed over, the professor did, he grabbed him by the collar and was about to spank him severely when a neighbor leaned over the fence and said, watch it professor, don't you remember you must love the child. And at this the professor yelled back furiously, I do love him in the abstract but not in the concrete. (laughs) Talk about the difficulty of loving people. Uh, And I will say Dave Holdsworth uh, shared with us last night at our men's dinner, and we had a good talk on this topic, but it is a good reminder sometimes that we need to be reminded how difficult it is to love people. And you talk about the difficulty of loving people the same across all the board, and yet doing so specifically to a person. It's hard to be inclusive and exclusive, isn't it? And Jay uh, Grisha Mason, one of the old dead guys, said... A Christianity that is tolerant of all religions is just no Christianity at all. It's hard to tolerate being intolerant. It's hard to be intolerant to be tolerate, tolerant. Does that make any sense to you? So how does God do this? How does God handle this? Well, there is a tolerance that Jesus will not tolerate. The world preaches a tolerance of many viewpoints, but we assert absolute truth that is exclusive If Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then he's no way to heaven. The risen Lord is either exclusively a monopoly as the access to the Father, or he's not. But then how can God also say, all who will come to me will come to me? How can this God of all be exclusive? There's one way to heaven, but at the same time, y'all come on down, whoever wants to come down. And Luke 11.23 helps solve this, makes sense of this. And it says, it'll be on the screen as well, the one who is not being with me is against me. And the one who is not gathering with me scatters. You see, because the Christ we have is polarizing. He divides into two groups of people. There are two groups of people who will acknowledge Him. There are some who, by God's grace, the the more they grow, the more they know, the more they learn of Him, they love Him all the more. But there's another group of people, the more they know Him, the more they learn about Him, the more they hate Him. They don't want anything to do with Him. That no one is the same towards Christ because they, they being the second group, mainly the world looks at that and says, well, if God loves all people, why is Jesus the only way to heaven? If God loves all people, then why is this God doing this? So this morning, as we look at three little short episodes, how can God be so exclusive, so polarizing? How can he also be so inclusive? How can he take this, uh, these rebel sinners and do all this stuff? And what does this mean for us? The big idea today, the big idea if you're with us today is just simply the, the thesis of the whole thing, the, the rifle shot is this, is we must champion church, both the exclusiveness of Jesus, he's the only way to heaven, but also his inclusiveness, because this is the struggle that makes Jesus so irresistibly compelling to all who know him. I mean, did you ever think about that? I mean, how can he do that? How can he have everyone who wants to come to him, but also the same way say, I'm the only way you can come? Because when I was in college, I was told that every way is a way up the mountain, and all roads lead to Rome, right? You've heard those phrases before, maybe? Not that old song, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Well, that's how a lot of people view religion. But how do we today acknowledge this? But this is still the same of people today. There are people who are drawn closer to Christ, and there are people who are repelled away from Christ, and no one will walk away without making a decision. There is no neutral ground. Either you are drawn to Him, or you're driven away by Him. Either you're going to crown Him, or you're going to crucify Him. Either you're going to hail Him as King, or you're going to nail Him up as a fake King. Those are the options. Yet the same God who said, I'm the only way to heaven, said, all who ever will may come. May I ask you this morning, are you being drawn to Christ closer and closer? Does His exclusivity, His one way to heaven, warm your heart, or does it make it cold? Does the fact that God says, let everyone come, even those people who who are different than you, even those people who who, who may believe a little bit different, but when they come to Christ are in the same fold, He is a polarizing Christ. So today, I want to look at this this exclusive, inclusive nature of Jesus in four real-life responses. And I am on a kick with this. I am sorry if you hate alliteration, all right? Uh, It is all C's today. We had all A's the last three weeks. I apologize in advance. We have one head nod. The rest of y'all, you just have to deal with it, all right? Four real life crises that happen response wise to the exclusiveness of Christ and the inclusiveness of Christ. We're going to see people with conspiracies. We're going to see Judas and all his gang get together to go against Jesus. We're also going to see celebration. That when, that when we see Jesus and what he came to do, we're going to see celebration and giving of life. But we're also going to see Jesus cause conflict even among people who will eventually walk with him. And then finally in verses nine, 6 to 9, we're going to be seeing the correction that Jesus has. Because once again, Jesus is going to look at someone, in this case Mary, And he's going to look at her and say, you know what? This woman did more for me. And this story will be told throughout all the ages to come. The exclusive, inclusive nature of Christ. If you've been joining us or if it's been a week off, we just went through Mark 13. Here's the sum of it. Jesus is coming back. He's coming quickly. He's coming seriously. He's coming literally. He's coming visibly. And no, I do not know the day he's coming back. So just don't even go there. Don't pin the tail on the donkey or the date. Just let it be. And God is coming back, and Jesus is entering the final days of his life, the Wednesday of the final day of his life. Let's join together in standing, if you're able this morning, uh, to read God's word together, if you are able to honor his word. This morning, Mark 14, 1 through 11, the exclusive, inclusive Christ and the responses that people had. Verse 1 says, and, and Mark writing, it was now two days before the Passover of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar or an uprising from the people. Verse 3, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment came with pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly or angrily or upsettedly, if that's a word, why was the anointment wasted like that? For this anointment could have been sold for more than 300 and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But, verse 6, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, for them but you will not always have me. Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Christ has exclusively made his claims known that he is the only way to heaven. He's exclusively made his his ways known. He's not bending to the religious establishment, yet he said that all can come to him. Based on that message, you're going to see four real responses of what happens when we believe this Jesus for who he is. Let's pray together as we start this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time we have to be. Your, Your son, Father, is polarizing. We either are for him or we are against him. We can't walk the picket fence between two bulldogs. We can't be Switzerland in World War II or whatever else it may be. We have to make a choice. Father, I thank you that as far as I know, the majority of the people in this room have made the choice by your grace, by your leading, through your spirit, that the scales have fallen off to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this. Father, we pray that by your grace, you give us wisdom this morning. May we see these real-life responses to who you are in our own lives and how to handle them as we go forward. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, the first response I want you to see are the conspiracies, and you're going to notice this as Amy puts it up. We're, We're actually jumping from verses 1 to 2 to 10 and 11 as we do. And I want to remind you, too, this is the Wednesday of the Passion Week. Two days before Jesus is going to be hung on a cross is when this man uh, and these episodes happen, or at least the conspiracies happen. And Jesus himself is going to be doing this very thing. And you notice there in verse 1, it tells us that this is going to be during the Passover. You may recall that Passover is probably, arguably, the biggest event in the Jewish holiday calendar. Uh, the other things that they would come to Jerusalem for were, were the Feast of the Tabernacles and uh, the Pentecost. But now, right now, it is the time of the Passover. And so the, the, the win is said, is it's easy, but who's the who? The who are the people that Jesus has debated with the Tuesday, this whole long chapter of Mark 13 and Mark 12 are, are the who? The chief priests, the scribes, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all these people they're mad. He's been stealing the crowd from them. He's been showing them that they're wrong. They don't like it. And so you notice there that they develop a conspiracy. It says in verse 1, and the chief priests and the scribes are seeking how to arrest him by stealth. Well, why are they doing it by stealth? I mean, why not just go out, grab the dude, throw him in jail, try getting crucified? Why not just go and do it? Because they're even smarter than that. They know if they go and grab Jesus as he is, they're going to have a huge uprising on their hands, aren't they? They're going to have a revolt. It's like if someone were to go and arrest the Beatles back in the 1960s when the Beatles showed up and all the girls were saying, ah, you know, they would, they would have a mob and, and fangs would come out and all sorts of stuff. Or I remember being uh, at my former job downtown when Justin Bieber came to town, God forbid the thought, and uh, the concert that is. And I remember walking down on my lunch break down by the Sprint Center. We could hear them yelling inside our office at 12th and Grand. I mean, yelling, Justin, Justin. If you stole Justin Bieber away at that moment, you would have had a riot on your hands in downtown Kansas City. So these chief priests and scribes seem to think they know what they're doing. So there's a conspiracy. And they, and they even say that in verse 2, don't they? They say, not during the festival. And, and Judas is ready. He's waiting for the opportunity in verses 10 and 11. But these chief priests know that this is going to go down. Friend, this is a reminder to us, and Amy will put this up, that the more hostile the world becomes, the more hospitable Christians should become. And Amy, you can put the references up too if you would as well. Friends, this time that we're getting ready to enter into, these are placed by Mark specifically. He is getting ready to show you that as the persecution's increasing, the church's hospitality is also increasing. That as people are going against and railing against Christ, Christians get all the more loving in their response to the world. That sounds so opposite, doesn't it? Uh, The other day, Natalie and I were watching a movie about the Apostle Paul, the new one that came out a couple years ago. And there's some historical uh, truth to this that early in the days of Rome, when Nero was off his rocker and doing all sorts of crazy things to Christians, that some of the Christians wanted to fight back. Let's take up arms and do these things. And Paul told them that wasn't what God wanted them to do. In fact, He told them to be hospitable to the world. Even if they were to throw you in jail, praise God, because that's a way they can receive a witness. But that's true of us today, isn't it? I mean, mean, let's be honest. Christ is being removed from public places all the time. There's prayer that's been removed. And look, guys, this is not a dog that I have in the fight. It's trivial. But even taking Christ out of Christmas is happening. Look, Christ is still king even if, even, if, even if Santa Claus wins the cultural battle. Christ is still king. He laughs at that fat man in the red suit, okay? Because that fat man in the red suit will bow before him one day. You see what I'm saying? So what we know is that Christian schools and universities, as, as, as the pressure has increased, the doctrine has decreased. As the pressure has increased... Several places have said, you know what, it's just not worth the fight. We're just going to go along with the flow of the world. But friends, let me tell you, when the, when the heat gets turned up in the, the kitchen, Christians are to step up their game. And to be, remember, this world is not our home, but at the same time, we are to love those who are here exclusively and inclusively at the same time. But now go down to verses 10 and 11, and you'll see this as well, this conspiracy against Christ. These are the bookends, and we're skipping over the middle part because I want you to see this. And it says in verse 10 that, "...then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity." Now, I want you to know why I skipped this, because the section that talks about Mary is probably already happened. I want you to note that. In John's Gospel, John says verses 3 through 9 have actually happened about four to five days previous to where we pick it up in Mark 14. So why did he do that? Why did Mark decide to put in a section that's out of chronological order? Because he wants you to see the polar rising Christ He wants you to see how the book ends. It starts a chapter with conspiracy. It ends with conspiracy, but these are not God's people. God's people are going to be hospitable. God's people are going to bless each other, and God's people are going to love each other. And so you see that Judas wanted these things. And so Mark here is wanting you to see the the contrast between these things. But it's Judas Judas is called a thief. He's called a liar. And Judas is going to be up in the episode in just a minute. But Judas is always seeking more money, isn't he? Some people come to Christ just to get money. In third world countries, some converts to Christ are not really converts. They're just looking for the opportunity to be blessed by the missionary organization that comes their way. And the same happens here in a church building. We'll get knocks on the door, and you know our new phone number, 816-368-1330. You got that down yet? People will call the number and, and, and they'll give you a story that, that may have been told five other times at five other churches and not really looking to be spiritually blessed. They're looking to get a quick buck to get a fix or to fix something in their lives and that the motivation is not right. But the question becomes, why would Judas do this? Why would he sell his soul, and we know from other scripture, for 30 pieces of silver? Guys, that's nothing. That's like, that's nothing. It's hardly anything in that day. Judas didn't find what he wanted in Jesus, so he had to go and get the Jesus he wanted. And that's a big difference. Judas was always the outsider. He was not from the same region as the disciples. He was the money carrier. He helped himself to the money. He stole the money. He did everything he could. And you notice what has what, what happened. It said, and they were glad and promised it. Guys, people who hate Jesus are always going to be around other people who hate Jesus, and they're going to love each other because they hate Jesus together. Did you get that? And what we need to be reminded of as we come to this, and, and Amy will put this up very easily, is that you are either at peace with God or you are or with him. There is no middle ground. Have you got that yet? That you either love him or you hate him, you adore him or you abhor him. There's no middle ground. We're either on the Lord's side or we're on the devil's side. And that sounds funny, but if you are not in Jesus, you're not serving God. You're serving Satan and his will. There's no neutrality. And Mary is going to give all her money away, so Jesus will be blessed. And they're giving a little money away, and they hope to be blessed. Do you see the difference of what Christ causes in people? That old phrase, the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay is true here. The same sun, Jesus, that melts some hearts hardens other hearts. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know, there's no middle ground. No middle ground. And before all of us were saved, can I tell you, before we forget, we would have done the exact same thing to Jesus had we had the opportunity. Well, not me. I was a pretty good kid. Maybe. But in God's eyes, you were as lost as lost could be. Guys, if you had the opportunity, if we had the opportunity to take out Jesus when we were in Jesus' day, we would have signed up for it in a heartbeat. Why? Because we wanted nothing to do with Jesus until he opened our eyes to believe in Jesus, right? There are none who are good, no, not one. Romans 3 says there are none who seek after God, no, not anyone. But outside of God's grace, we know nothing but praise God we do. And that's the first response. They are doing what non-Christian people do. They're sinning, they're sinning, they're sinning, and they see no problem with it. Don't be afraid to let non-Christians know they have sinned, but don't be surprised that they do sin. There's a big difference. But I want you to see the second response. Go back to verse 3. I want you to see the celebration. I love this part. Go to, verse, go to, go to the real response here. Go to verse 3 and see what Mary does. How do we know it's Mary? Your Bible doesn't say that. John 12 tells us but and and while he was at bethany remember mark mark is inserting something that's already happened this has happened probably the friday or saturday before jesus uh, before we pick it up in mark 14 so and while he was in bethany at the house of simon the leper he was reclining at the table and a woman came up with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard very costly and she broke the flask and poured it over his head all right What a contrast, didn't it? What a contrast. While he was at Bethany, Bethany's two miles away from Jerusalem, and he's in the home of Simon the leper. Now, now I want you to stop and think about this. This is reason for celebration number one. Simon the leper is no longer Simon the leper, but he's still called Simon the leper. If he was a leper, he would have been out in the leper colony, right? Husbands, it's kind of like when you're in the doghouse, you're in the doghouse, right? That doesn't change just because you want to change the name. You're still there. But God had changed him physically, and now he has been changed also spiritually. What a blessing. Let me give you the assumption number one. We assume that he has been saved. We don't know that, but we assume by his hospitality that he has been saved by Jesus. The other question that comes in, is this the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Because before in John 11... Jesus brought forth Lazarus. You remember that story? Jesus brought forth Lazarus. So is this the father of all these three? Maybe. We really don't know. But one thing we do know is he's hospitable to these people coming. He believes Jesus for who he is. And in came a woman. A woman. And not only was this any woman, this was Mary. This was the same Mary who was busy at Jesus' feet. You remember this? This is the same Mary when Martha was in the kitchen busily preparing. And Martha gets mad at Mary and says, Why aren't you helping me with the kitchen duty, cleanup duty, man? Get in here. This is the same one who was at the feet of Jesus while Mar- Martha cooked. Does this mean the Simon leper is the father of Mary and Martha? Probably. We don't know. But it's a testimony to Christ either way. But see what she does. She takes an alabaster flask, which is a small stone flask with a long neck, and it has pure nard in it. Uh, the nard comes from a, a plant over in the Himalayas in India. It's super costly. would have taken about a year's journey to get from there to Jerusalem, even in that day. But it costs 300 denarii. Basically, a year's wages if you take out the Sabbath. I mean, think about your income for a year. W- whether you're retired and that's your Social Security, whether that's your full-time job, part-time job, or whatever job you had imagine taking, let's just give an even number, your your $40,000 a year job and putting it in one bottle and then breaking the neck of that and pouring it on yourself in the hot Kansas City summer sun. Some of y'all would look at each other like, are you nuts? Are you crazy? What is wrong with you? $40,000 for that thing? I mean, I get mad on eBay when I buy like a little little ounce of cool water that I hardly use uh, for like eight bucks, right? And yet she spends... 300 denarii, a year's wages, 300 days' work on this thing. And so you'll see that, and Amy will take us to the second point, the, the celebration. But I want you to know that she understood what was happening. She broke the flask. She looked at Jesus, and she got it. She wasn't like those conspiracy theorists. She got it, guys. She got it so much that her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead, John 11. Apparently, if this the connection is true... Simon, her father, had also been healed. She had 10,000 reasons to love Jesus, and she pours it on his head. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot gets the blessing. And and this isn't just say, I love you. This is an expression. And she understood what was going to take place. Did you notice that? Verse 3 tells us the reason for celebration. Not only was her father healed, but she broke the flask and poured it over her head. And Jesus tells us Later on, down in the verses, in verse 8, that she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Her love for Jesus was celebration, as somber as it was, because she knew that Jesus was going to the cross to die. And this is real Christianity. This is real Christianity, being swept away into a love for Jesus. And Amy will put this up. That gets us doing costly things we'd never expect to do before. That's real Christianity. Not just giving because the, the, the plate passes or the TVBC News email goes out and says, hey, we got this new online giving thing, give to this. But giving because all precious gifts adorn the most precious gift of the giver himself. And she's at the feet of Jesus. She's learning. She's listening. She's applying. And we live in such an instant society that we miss this. But she gets the fact that I won't always have him around, so I'm going to bless him now. And many heard and learned and understood. And, and she shows God's love to the very end because she's preparing his body for burial. Friends, worshipers aren't just receivers, they are givers. And no sacrifice is ever too great for Jesus if he calls you to it. I mean, you think about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus gave back almost, what was it, four or five times, I think, the money that he received from taxes when he came to Christ, you have a story in your life, I'm sure, of when God saved you and you just gave freely, not because you did under obligation. You did it because Christ. you love Christ, right? Just like you, uh, uh, mothers today, wives, you give to your husbands or your sons. If, if, if you've lost your fa- you lost know, your, your husband, you give to the men in your life something because you have to, right? It's Father's Day. I gotta go buy him a mistake and take them out and, and go uh, let them let them shoot up something and tear down something and blow up something. Cause that's just what guys do. And you know what? They would look at they would look at you and they would say what? They would say, Are you doing this because you love me? Or are you doing this because you gotta do it? Ladies, just like when when and I've shared this before, just like when your guy comes home from a long trip and he gives you a big smooch and Gives you those flowers and you, and you feel like gone with the wind and you know that feeling. And you look around and you say, where did that come from? Well, here in the manual, of a good husband, it says on page 142, I'm supposed to do that after I come home from a trip. You'd be slapped silly and sent out the door to the same door you just came in. You don't give out of obligation. You give because Christ is Lord. And just the same in your family relationship. She's doing this because she's happy because her family's been saved, and as somber as it is, she knows Jesus is going to come back from the dead, because he's already done everything his word said. That's what a real-life response of Jesus does in people's hearts. Let's go to number three. Not only conspiracies, not only celebration, but I want you to see this, and this is going to be Judas. I want you to see the conflict. I want you to get this. Look back at verse four and five. So, So Mary celebrates somberly, with a year's worth of stuff, and there were some who said to themselves indignantly. I want you to know the sum here, according to the other Gospels, is led by Judas. Judas is the ringleader here. In other Gospels, we're putting this together, and, 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 and it's basically Judas. There were some who said to themselves angrily, indignantly, why was this ointment wasted? We could have sold it for 300 denarii and given it to the poor. This has never happened in churches like this before. Why did we spend money to go on that mission trip? We could have repaired that light bulb up there. Why did we do this? Why did we do that? Friends, the cost didn't matter. It wasn't about the cost. It was about the motivation behind the cost, that Jesus is worth everything. Therefore, we're going to give it. Now, I want you to see here that some were indignant. These were the disciples. They, they were led by Judas. They weren't hot about the fact that he was doing this very thing. And if Judas saw this and being the treasurer, this was just money he couldn't line his pockets with. This was money he couldn't take home to the bank. First Timothy 6 reminds us that love of money is the root, not of all evil. I think the better translation is the root of all kinds of evil. And he says it's been wasted. What a waste of money. How dare you use that money in that way? You didn't consult me. I'm the treasurer. Jesus. Mary didn't come to me. This is not right. And he riles up the other disciples. He gets him to go in line. might have been sold for 300 denarii. This guy needs an academy award, man. He's playing the game. He doesn't care about the poor. He cares about Judas. He is as phony as a $3 bill. He doesn't care. And those who are not converted are in the church. And let me remind you guys, this can happen in any church anywhere. Don't assume just because someone is a card-carrying member of Tower View Baptist Church or any church that they are saved. Church membership doesn't save you any more than being a cow makes you quack like a duck. So what do we do with the Judases in our church? How should we handle this? And Jesus is going to speak to this in a minute. Well, let me just give you five things, and let me just be very clear here. Uh, brother Dave, I don't mean to mention it twice in a sermon, but our, our mutual friend Jim Eliff. I've had this tucked away in my computer for a long time, these five things. These are not original to me. Jim Eliff, a brother pastor here in, in Kansas City, brother associational pastor, wrote a thing a long time ago. Because in our, in our Southern Baptist Convention, we have 16 million people on the rolls at churches. And on any given Sunday, about 3 million will show up in a church. And this can also be statistically backed up, but when there's a major decision to be made, those people who never come to church, you know what they end up doing? They end up coming to church to vote against whatever the church is wanting to do because, well, I'm a member and I was baptized here. I haven't been to church here in years, but you know what? I'm going to do this. And you know what? They're no not unlike anything what Judas just did. What do we do with the Judases in our life? Amy, you can go ahead and put up those first three if you would. First thing we need to do with Judas' in our church is we must preach and teach about unsaved church membership. Let me be super, super clear. I don't care how long you've walked in a church, you can be as unsaved as Judas was when he brought up the conspiracy. We need to teach and preach that just because you're a member of any church, you are not necessarily saved. Second thing we need to do is we need to address those who fail to gather corporately to serve, know, grow, and share. Do you know the only thing we're told of in Scripture to do more and more until Jesus returns is to gather together? Isn't that fun? We're to gather together. And friends, let me remind us that the most important thing, let me, I've said this before, but it, it bears repeating. You can serve all week till you're blue in the face, but if you are missing, if there's not a good reason for you not to be here, you're walking in sin because God says to assemble together. Well, pastor, you're just saying that because you get paid by the bills and you collect the offering and, and the attendant. No, I really care for your soul more than I care for my paycheck. I hope you know that. We desire you here as often as you can be here. Look, you're going to travel. You're going to get sick. Brother Nelson, here's a classic walking example, Chaplain Nelson serving in the military. You're going to go on trips for business. We get, that's life. We get it. But if you're physically able to be here and you're not here just because you don't want to be here, friend, you're in sin. Does that mean the church hasn't failed you? The pastor hasn't failed you? There's conflict? Sure, let's address those things. But to not assemble together is to go against the very things Jesus did, and you become a Judas quickly. Because you walk in like you own the place and say, you know what, I hate you're doing this, I hate you're doing that. And everyone looks at you and say, where in the world have you been? Thank you for your opinion, but we care more about your spiritual state. Number three, we need to be careful on the front end of letting people into our church. Whoa but I thought the church was for everybody, Pastor. Friends, it's for those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ and trusted Him alone, the exclusive Savior, and it's inclusive for all who've been baptized in His name. That's what we believe. And we're Baptists. There has to be a vote. That that as well. But do you understand that the front door of the church is just as important as the back door? We want to make sure that those coming in have professed Jesus Christ. So let Well, I don't have time to chase it, but I'll plant a seed, and we can talk about this sometime. So why did God allow Judas to be a disciple if he knew that he would be the fall guy one day? I'll let you stew on that for a little bit, but I want you to know it was all part of God's plan. But as a church, we need to remember that the front door is very important. This is why we have a membership class. This is why we have pastoral interviews. This is why we have a congregational vote on every person who becomes a member of our church. Two more things, quickly. Go ahead, Amy. You can throw those up. What do we do? Judas is in our church. We must stop giving immediate verbal assurance to people who make professions of faith or respond to invitations. Again, these are not original to me. These are Pastor Jim Ellis, but I think they're worthwhile to share uh, you can look him up at Christian Communicators. Type that in Google, Christian Communicators. But friends, this is why we if you walk down the aisle, we're so grateful to receive you, pray with you, counsel with you, but just walking an aisle does not mean you are saved, right? Just more than stepping on a treadmill means you can run uh, a four-minute mile. Uh, a little side story with that to give an illustration. They're, they're trying to break the two-hour record. Two Two hours flat for the marathon, which is a four minute, 34 second times 26.2. There's a video that just got launched last week on YouTube of people trying to run for 10 seconds, the pace this guy's trying to run for two hours. And what do they do every time? They fall flat on their face just because you walk an aisle just because you 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 jump through the hoops does not mean you are saved. Do you know who tells you who you're saved? The spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that we are children of God, Romans chapter 8. That's what we know. And finally, we must restore sound doctrine. Friends, we must preach and teach the word of God to protect against Judas in our church. Is Judas welcome at our church? Yes. Is Judas welcome here? Everybody's welcome here, guys. It's inclusive, but we have to be exclusive. Do you see that? That is what it is. But Judas needs an Academy Award. I hope you nominated him. But Jesus is going to confront him one more time. Let's go to the last point, and this will be it for today. Number four, real-life responses. You've seen conspiracies. You've seen celebration. You've seen conflict. You've seen all these things. But we need to be reminded Jesus is going to correct, and I want you to see this as we close quickly. Verses 6 through 9, he says this. Jesus comes, and he says, leave her alone. In other words, cut it out, guys. Step away. Get back off. Get away from her why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. I love that so much. This woman came with a year's salary. She came with all sorts of money. She came with one thing in mind. She wanted to bless Jesus. Everything else was secondary to the primary goal, make it about Jesus. It's the most important thing in our lives to do, guys, is to make it about Jesus. We have lots of responsibilities. The most important thing we can do is to love God above all else. And there are times of, uh, in our lives that call us for, to love Christ this way. Mary couldn't do, it, do this any day, but there are moments that he calls us to show extravagant grace to him, and he granted that grace. Verse 7, for, for you always have the poor with me, and you can do good to them. This is why communism will never work, by the way, because you know what? You will always have the poor with you. You always will. This is why loving our neighbor goes beyond just simply signing up together for the same political party. You will always have the poor among you until Jesus returns. But he says, you will not always have me. The opportunity will be there to bless the poor. The disciples saw it as a waste of money, but in Mary's eyes, she was preparing the way for this, and Jesus corrects them about that. And I love verse 8. If you're an underliner, this, this, is your, this could be your life verse. Verse 8, he says, Jesus says, She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. Especially that first phrase, she has done what she could. She acted in a way she could do in a life. A rich king could have done more, but she did what she could. You know, a doctor could have fixed his toenails, but she did what she could. She's done what she could, and I thought about this on the way to church this morning. I wish I could somehow change the world right now. Don't you? Don't you wish you could just go in and hit the reset button and say, come on now. Guys, get your act together. But I can't. But I, we, you as an individual, we as a church can do what we can. Guys, we can't do every ministry at this church. We can't do a wing here, a wing there, do this, do that. Our church has tried it. It was well intended. We can't do it. But we can do a few things well and do it good. She did what she could. And Jesus smiles on that. Look, if, you're, if you don't have the same strength you used to have in your life, you know what? That's okay. You do what you can for Jesus. Now, like all things, I need to qualify this. This isn't a call to complacency. Well, Jesus, I did what I could. That bacon was good, but man, I can't go out anymore. Because woo, I ate too much for breakfast and I'm not going to serve you anymore. Jesus says, bacon's just too good. That's complacency. Enjoy your bacon, serve Jesus. Or the other side, boy, I gotta do everything for Jesus, I gotta be this committee, that committee, and woo, 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 woo. woo and do all those things there's a middle ground. God has put you in the places. He's put you in the family. He's put you in the job. He's put you in the church. He's put you in the area. He's put you. Be faithful to what you have. And my son loves it every time I do that stuff. But she did what she could. Guys, when Jesus comes back, it's not about how many committees you served on, how many ideas you had, about how many things you could have said or done. It's about what you did faithfully with what you had. Guys, we are not Pleasant Valley Baptist Church. We're not Church of the Resurrection. We're not Como Baptist Church. Sister churches, nonetheless, we are Tower View Baptist Church. God planted this here in 1962 brought us here. We don't have the best building. We need to repair some of it. We need to cosmetically update some of it eventually. There are some things we need to take care of. But you know what? We be faithful with what we have and God will bless it. And that's what we have. And that's what he called them to. He didn't tell them to go and do this, do that. He said, just be faithful. And that's what I want you to see as we close. She couldn't do much. But what she could do, she made it into the biblical record, and we can't do much either, but Jesus commands us and records our little acts of love for eternity. Be faithful with what you have. Moms who stay at home, we have several in our church, be faithful with those little ones. Men who travel with business and your time is hard, be faithful with the time you have. Some who are older, they can't do what you used to do, we don't compete against each other. What is paramount is our sacrificial love for Christ with what we have. And look at verse 9. Wherever the gospel is preached, he's looking ahead to Mark 16. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature will be spoken of in memory of her. This woman took a year's worth of wages, plopped it on Jesus' head, did all that she did, and she did it for God's glory. Guys, I am very proud of Tower View Baptist Church. I am very grateful for our church, all the people who work here, who serve here, who have served here, who have laid the foundation here for so many years. I can't tell you in the years to come, we're going to have the best years ever. We're going to set record attendance, record giving, record this. I don't know. But what I can tell you is, if we are faithful to Christ, we will be as blessed as we ever can be because that's the only place we need to be, and that's what we have. Christ is either going to make you start a conspiracy, He's either going to make you celebrate, He's either going to bring conflict in your life or He's going to he's going use correction in your life. I don't know where you're at, but this is the awesome exclusive one way to heaven inclusive God, and I love Him because we could never do this ourselves. Let's pray together as we close out today. Father God, as we come before you, we thank you so much for you. Father, we thank you so much for being God, for for being our Lord, for being our Savior, for being our Redeemer, Father, we thank you so much that when we don't have what it takes, Father, you have already given us for all things in life and godliness, Second Peter tells us, to live the life you've called us to live. Yet at the same time, Lord, you told us to go to the nations. Father, for, for some of us here, that's simply praying. We, we physically cannot go like we used to go, and that's OK. Father, whether we're low energy or high energy, whether we're organized or disorganized, may it all be for your glory. Father, I pray for our church, because as we serve you, we're going to see these types of reactions from people. As we preach the exclusive nature of Christ, yet at the same time, y'all come on in. We'll love you where you are, point you back to Jesus. Father, help us to be faithful, help us to be strong. Father, that's the irresistibleness of who you are, is that you cannot be pinned down. Father, you allow us to see some of you, but you're so much more than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. Father, we love you so much. We give you our families today, our churches. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.